Well, good morning, Oak Mountain. My name is Chad Walker. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to our passage today. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's a classic passage about the Lord's Supper, and that's what we're going to look at today. We refer to it a lot of times when we take communion, which, by the way, if I say Lord's Supper and communion, it means the same thing. We're talking about the same event. I may say that interchangeably, but it's the same thing we're talking about. Some of you might know this as the Eucharist, but it's all the same thing. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 11 this morning. As you're turning there, I just want to start out with talking about the kings of Israel. A lot of us know who King Saul was, the first king of Israel, and a lot of us know a lot about King David. But after that, it could get kind of fuzzy. I'm sorry. Just letting you know here. Children's Church, kindergarten through second grade. You can go with Miss Sam Bright in the back. They would love to take you. You're welcome to go. They'll be safe and learn about the Lord. In the, you can pick them up in the gym after the service. Sorry about that, Sam. Gotcha. All right, so back to what I was saying here. The Lord's Supper and Communion, 1 Corinthians 11. Talking about the kings of Israel. It gets a little fuzzy after King David because there's a lot about bad kings. There's some about good kings. It just gets fuzzy on who's, who's a good king, who's a bad king. But we eventually get to a point, 2 Chronicles 34, of this, this king uniquely that becomes king of Israel at the age of eight years old. And that's King, king Josiah. And King Josiah was was a king that loved the Lord, and he wanted to tear down all of the idol worshiping that was going on and clear the temple out, God's temple, of all the idol worshiping that was going on and restore it to what it used to be. Well, interestingly enough, in 2 Corinthians 34, someone stumbles upon the scriptures, the scrolls, the Torah, the five first books called the Book of Moses were just kind of undusted and uncovered. They didn't even have them at the time, believe it or not. And they find them. And they eventually get to Josiah, King Josiah and he tears his clothes. He's so upset that the scriptures have come to this sort of desecrated place. But it goes on to talk about the next chapter. Of all the things in reading the scriptures, what does King Josiah do? Well, one of the things he does is he immediately reinstitutes the Passover. It's such an important thing as he reads the scripture to see this is very important to the identity of God's people to celebrate this beautiful thing called Passover. The Lord told, it, told them to do that back in Genesis 12 and with the, the miraculous tw- uh, 10 plagues that happened. And as they left, God told them in Exodus 12 to do this as a memorial so they can remember what God has done for them. And the reason I'm telling you this is because in some ways today, not that we have forgotten the Lord's Supper or communion, but there's ways in which the dust and busyness in life can kind of stack on top of things sometimes. And it causes us to pause and take time to rediscover what we know is important. And the Lord's Supper is one of those things. It's not that we've lost it, but it it, it's good to take time to rediscover these special things that the Lord gives us. And one of those is the Lord's Supper. It's great in the fact that the Lord gives the church two specific things in which we get to participate in that we call sacraments. And that is, the Lord, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. The bab- baptism is something that only happens one time, but the Lord's Supper is something that gets to happen continually until Jesus returns. It's something we all get to participate in as his people and how it renews us and it gives us strength. As Bob talked about last week, the means of grace is a way in which God pours out his grace and ministers it to you, not because you've earned it, not because this is something that you did to get to have it, but it's just special. He's consecrated this sacrament. It's a, it comes from a Latin word of mystery. It's mysterious 
that the Lord would use such a thing as this to pour out his grace in a way to sustain you and to nourish you and to give you what you need in this life as a believer. It's an amazing promise that, that God gives us this, but it is a mystery. It's a sign and a seal. You've probably heard this before, but the Lord's Supper is a sign. It's like the road signs telling us up ahead what's coming in the same way that the bread is a sign that points to something even better, and that points to Jesus' body, which was broken for you. And then we see that there's also the cup is a sign. It represents something else. It's not the cup that's important. It's the sign of what it points to, and that it's Jesus' blood that was shed for you and for me. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing signs to consider this, that this is what God wanted us to do, to observe together, to partake together, to participate together because we are his body and we get to commune and fellowship together in this sort of way. It's a visible form of an invisible grace. It's a visible words of God that we get to be a part of. Now, fortunately, we have a long runway between now and when we take communion in a few minutes to think on and, and prepare our hearts for this time to take communion together. It is what God wants us to do to bring about the means of grace to sustaining us in, the spirit, in, the, in our Christian lives. But so that we don't get lost in the shuffle of being a busy Christian or things that are going on. We, live, we worship in a large church. There's lots of things happening. We've just come on the, we're on the hills of VBS and so many other things. But let's rediscover these important things that God gives us, such as the Lord's Supper, that we get to participate in together. So if you don't mind, please stand with me if you can as I read the words of 1 Corinthians 11. Starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we have judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. May the Lord bless the preaching and hearing of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he also has given us this incredible, beautiful, mysterious sacrament we call the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly gave up your body and let your blood be shed on our behalf. Father, we pray that you would bless this time. Holy Spirit, please come to this place today and pour yourself out generously that we might see you and behold you in your majesty and your wonder and that also you might nourish us and sustain us and build us up spiritually as we so desperately hunger and thirst for. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated.
So I don't know if you're like me, but there, there was a time where I would sit in the pew and we would take this communion and I would think, what are we supposed to do right now? I mean, people are really quiet. Nobody's giving me a cue about what we're supposed to do. So let's, let's figure this thing out. But in, in, the, in, the, in the vein of uh, rediscovering the Lord's Supper, I, I hope I can give us a few things to consider here to help us in our minds think on in our hearts of what we're after with the Lord's Supper. The first thing I want us to look at today is to look back by remembering his death. That's the first point today is look back by remembering his death. What do we think about when we're taking communion? The first one is just remembering. We can look back and consider that Jesus' death was for us. He tells us two times in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 24 and 25 to remember, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. If you grew up in a good Baptist church, there would be the communion table up front, and it would say, this do in remembrance of me. It's, it's imprinted on there. This is, what it, this is what we do. There's a memorial service part of communion that takes place to remember what Jesus has done. And that's important. It's true to remember what Jesus has done for us. So if you can imagine the scene here, let's paint the picture for a minute. Jesus in the upper room with the disciples, and they're having this Last Supper. First of all, let me say it is nothing like Leonardo da Vinci's picture that he's famous for. They're not sitting in chairs. They're probably on the ground or sitting on some low couch kind of thing, reclining as they eat this meal together. So just trying to paint the picture a little bit. But when they're when they're sitting there at the meal, it's just so important what's happening here. He's he's saying, Don't forget me. Wouldn't it be kind of weird that he has not even died? He's not even been crucified, he's not even yet even been portrayed, yet he's talking about it. And he's already saying, remember me. Don't forget me. It's, it's the foreshadowing of what's about to happen. It's going to rock their world a day later on what's happened and shake their faith. But Jesus is already setting the stage for what's going to happen here. See, the context of this meal and God's good providence that Jesus is having the Last Supper is happening during the Passover. It's amazing to consider the timing of Jesus dying happens during the Passover. Jesus is at a Passover meal. He's having a meal with his disciples. You can imagine that upper room there. He, he is taking the bread, the unleavened bread. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 16 calls it the bread of affliction. It's the affliction of the Israelites referred to in Genesis 16. But now, here's our Savior. The bread of affliction. It was his affliction. That was for you. It's an amazing thing to consider. This bread of affliction was for us. And it's reflecting on the the memorial part of this Passover. It's an amazing thing. The other thing to consider here is there could have been a sacrificial lamb they were eating on. King Josiah in uh, 2 Chronicles 35, the, the Passover that he instituted was an amazing meal. There were thousands of lambs and bulls that were slaughtered and invited all of Israel to come together to have a feast all together. It's an amazing picture. And so it's interesting if you understand or know a little bit about the sacrificial system of Israel, how lambs were a peace offering to God for our sins. And yet the Passover, well, any kind of sacrificial animal that was sacrificed there, you weren't supposed to eat that. That was for the, for the priest and for the Levites. But during Passover, there's this one exception. that This is the one time that the people can eat of the sacrifice. They can eat of the lamb. So here's Jesus with disciples. Not only is there bread, not only is there a cup, but there's a lamb that's before him. 
And the, the imagery of this has to be so beautiful to consider that here's the Lamb of God. This is Jesus himself. They're feasting on the Lamb. They're breaking the bread. They're drinking the cup. This is, this is the Messiah. This is John 1 where John the Baptist sees Jesus coming down to be baptized. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. That this, all of this was to be the, the, the sacrificial lamb for you and for me. That is the context of the Passover that's happening. This is the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, how it's happening here. Verse 24, he gave thanks and he broke it, saying, this is my body for you. This is, this is the way in which he wanted us to understand it. This is the sign. This, his body, which was broken, was for you and for me. And that is such good news. It's so good. And he goes on with the cup and talking about this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. He's taking two things from the Old Testament and putting them together. In uh, Jeremiah 31, God says that he will establish a new covenant after they come out of exile where his spirit will be poured out and he'll give us a new heart. And it's also with Exodus 24, you see that, that God had invited and called up Moses and the elders to come up to the top of Mount Sinai to renew their covenant with each other. God wanted to renew his covenant with his people. And then Moses comes down from the mountain, and before all the people, he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people. So there's a sprinkling of blood that's on the outside of the people as they ratify this covenant with God. But we are in a new covenant. With Jesus, it's not just a covenant on the outside, but here's a covenant of my blood that we can ingest. And it nourishes us. And it gets inward and it gets deep and it does something to us. And Jesus is saying, this is the new covenant of my blood. It's not just splattered on you. It did just cover the doorpost. But this is something you take and you receive it and you ingest it. And this is good. But remembering is an important thing. It doesn't always come easy to us. There's things we have to do to intentionally remember. That's part of the reason of the Passover is to remember continually what Jesus has done, remembering his death. I remember this when after 9-11 happened, all the bumper stickers and things on TV of 9-11, never forget, never forget. That's just an important thing. We don't ever want to forget that. It's an important thing. We do this for things that are important to us. This is why we take a moment of silence at a sporting event. It's why we take so many pictures on our iPhones and pay Apple so much money to keep up our pictures for us. But we want to remember the things that happen in our life that are important to us. But it's an intentional act, right? It's something we have to do. Well, the, the Jewish Passover celebrates what's called the Seder meal. Some of you may have been a part of this before. It's a significant meal. If you've ever been a part of it, you would understand what I'm saying, hopefully, and if you haven't, I encourage you to be a part of one. But at the Seder meal, at the end of it, there are several cups of wine that are passed throughout the mill. But when it gets to the end of the mill, there's a last cup that gets poured, and it's set in the center of the table. And then the kids are asked to go to the door and see if the prophet Elijah is here. So they do, and they go, and they look, and they don't ever see Elijah the prophet invariably. So they come back and say, we don't see him. And they say, next year in Jerusalem. But that cup on the table that's still sitting there never gets drank because that's for Elijah. Because he's the one that's supposed to usher in the second exodus, but he never comes. For thousands of years or hundreds of years since King Josiah leading up in this tradition to Jesus coming, it's in that context that he holds up that cup. He says, this is the new covenant. I am the one that's ushering in the second coming. 
I am the one ushering in the second exodus. It's such good news to know the context and the richness and the imagery of what he's saying there that's happening at that time. So let us not forget that. So do you see the same glorious story being retold by Jesus even today as we take the Lord's Supper? Do you remember? What truth may you have been, may you have been forgetting as you take the Lord's Supper that the Lord is reminding you of even now? What is it like to have all of your senses engaged when we take the Lord's Supper and we remember his death? And can you hear this age-old story of a Messiah that's coming to save you from your sins? This is, this is the dance. This is the, what we do with the Lord, and we actively participate in the Lord's Supper. So there's three things I want to look at. We look back by remembering Jesus' death. That leads us to our next point, which is look inward by examining our hearts. Look inward by examining your heart. So this sacrament is a, is a somber one. It's, it's introspective. It is reflective. It's solemn. There's a way in which we prepare our hearts to come to the table before the Lord. There's lots to say about this that I don't even have time to say, but this is part of the reason that in our denomination that we want people to know way ahead of time when we're going to take the Lord's Supper so we have time to prepare our hearts for it. There's much to say on this, but it is a sacrament in which we have time and should prepare our hearts to take communion together. It's a time to humble ourselves, search our hearts, to be like David, to say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any anxious way in me. See if there's an offensive way in me. Lead me into the way of repentance. Help me to know you. And the Holy Spirit works in this way. It's a mysterious uh, sacrament that we get to be a part of, but yet God uses this and the Holy Spirit reveals sin to us. It's an important thing here. Verse 28, it says, examine yourself and then eat and drink. So there's a, a proper way in which we come to the table. And verse 27 talks about coming to the table in an unworthy manner. It does come with warnings. When we take the Lord's Supper and you hear this, this is part of the reason for that. Paul is warning the Corinthians because they have come to the table irreverently. They have come in ways in which they have gotten drunk off the wine while they have done communion. And he's trying to correct that in this context here to the Corinthians. But Eugene Peterson, in his translation, The Message, I love the way he says things sometimes, and I like the way he says this here. He says, anyone that eats the bread and drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance that you want to be a part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in a holy awe. That is the way in which we come to this to this. Lord's Supper today, to his table, not in an irreverent sort of way. Paul goes on in verses 30 through 32 to talk about that this is why many of you are weak or ill and have died. This is hard verses to read and to hear, but sin really does have consequences. There are things that are hard. Some of the things that happen in our lives are consequences of things we've done. And as a believer, we know that our refuge is in Jesus And he saves us from our sin and he sustains us. But sometimes in our sin, there might be consequences that come along with that. Now, me saying that it might be a matter of some of us here might not need to take communion even today. There's times where I don't take communion myself personally because there's sin that the Lord wants to deal with me on. Or maybe there's something between me and someone else and I need to go repair that before I come to the Lord's table. That might be the case with you as well. The Lord uses this time as a fork in the road to show us our heart, 
to examine our motives, to show us our sin, so that we might repent and more fully embrace Christ and drink of his grace that's for us. His grace is afresh as we see the sin he's actually paying for. It's an incredible thing that we get to do here. But we really want his, not just his spiritual presence, but we also want the Holy Spirit to show us the ways in which we need uh, to repent. It reminds me of a story. Uh, some of you may know Jack Miller that started World Harvest Mission that's now known as Surge. Uh, we have several of our own that work for Surge in London. Uh, his wife is Rosemary Miller, and she is still in her 90s sharing the gospel all the time in West London with cab drivers and all sorts of immigrants that are in London. Amazing story. But I, I remember uh, a story that she said a while back in relation to the Lord's Supper and communion. And this is what she was talking about. She actually had gone on a trip with her husband. They were skiing. She tried to go down the mountain, got to a point where she could go the easy way or the hard way. She said, I can do the hard way, and then got really humbled. She had a wreck, lost one of her skis. She was so mad, so frustrated. She left the ski on the slope, went back to the lodge, and just sulked. She was so mad. She was upset and angry how it all played out. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but what happened after that was, was really incredible. That's what she said. The following morning, during a communion service, Jack, her husband, broke a large loaf of French bread to be passed around. In the crack of that bread, I suddenly saw that Jesus was broken for me. And I finally understood what Martin Luther was saying, that Jesus' righteousness covered all of my own unrighteousness. And what did I need to do to get it? Just accept his work for me. I sat there with tears streaming down my face and one small Kleenex to stem the tide. I saw that trip down the mountain as a picture of my, my record of my own self-righteousness. I was struck by the obvious fact that I had not needed to go down the mountain the way that I did. The other way was to go enjoy a cup of tea on the mountaintop restaurant and go back down the gondola, admitting for me that the skiing down that way was an impossibility. But I suddenly saw the past was full of so much self-effort that had produced good things, but I could not deal with the failure and defeat. But now I understood that Christ's righteousness covered all of that, and all my excuses were gone, and I accepted Christ's perfect record as what I needed. All of my self-righteousness had made me a spiritual paralytic, but Christ's righteousness has brought me peace, and God has reached into my life and dealt with my most fundamental sin. It's a great picture of how the Lord used the communion in Rosemary Miller's life. The crack of the bread, the drinking of the wine, the Holy Spirit showing up in a way to convict us of sin, not so we stay in it and just sulk in it, but to remind us that that's why his body was broken for you. That's why his blood was shed for you, specifically direct application to our hearts. So how we come to this table is very important. So I have to ask you, is there sin that the Lord is dealing with you on? Is, he's putting, is he putting his finger on something that you're holding back that he needs to deal with you on? Is there something between you and someone else that you need to deal with first? These are good things to deal with. These are the proper, way, proper ways in which to deal with them. And ultimately, how are you experiencing that his grace is more refreshing and comforting to you in light of all that. Because that's what this table is for. It is a very good thing. So as we look inwardly and examine our hearts, it leads us to our last thing here. And our last point is to look forward by proclaiming his return. 
So we look backward, we look inward, now we look forward by proclaiming his return. Verse 26 says, every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. He will return. He will come back. What a great promise that is. He will come back. Matthew 26, in Jesus' own words of the Lord's Supper, this is what he said. I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I can drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a great promise that is. I want to drink it with you. This is going to happen again face to face with Jesus. It's not mere outward religious routine and thing to do. This is a sign. It is a shadow of the reality to come. Jesus will return. And he wants to have this wine and he wants to have this bread with you. It's an amazing thing to consider. We see that Jesus came back with his disciples after his resurrection. And he did this very thing. He prepared, excuse me, he prepared a meal for them by the side of the water. After they fished, that's what he wanted to do with them. And hastening his, return, hastening his return for him to come back is done really two ways. Two ways in which we proclaim him. It's done by actions. It's done by words. We get to be a part of that with our words by hastening his return as we share the gospel with people. We share the good news of the gospel with, with people that we know that may not know him. If you're here and you don't know Christ, I hope you hear that good news. That his body was broken for you. His blood, it was shed for you. You didn't ask for it, but he did it. Because he loves you. Because he's gracious. Because he's good. So I hope you can hear that him hanging on the cross was for you. It was for me. It was for our sin that put him there. But he loves you enough that he willingly did that. That's good news, and that's our hope. That's our anchor. So we not only proclaim him with our words in hastening his return, but we also proclaim him in this action of the Lord's Supper. We get to participate and model to the world this is what it's like to dine with the king. We get to participate in a fellowship in a unique and special way. We get to demonstrate how the gospel plays out. I mean, consider it. You're passively right now listening to me, not moving, not really doing a lot. But here in just a moment, you're going to be an active participant in worshiping the Lord. You're in the pew And someone is going to bring to you the elements of the Lord's Supper. And you didn't ask for it, and you don't have to pay for it. There's nothing you have to do. And it is brought to you freely. And what do you have to do, really? Nothing. You take it for yourself. That's it. Take it into your possession. And as you take it, you get to ingest it. And as you ingest it, it nourishes your body physically as a sign of what he does to you spiritually. It's amazing to consider how the sacrament works to sustain you, to grow you, to nourish you in the way that your soul needs. And I'm so glad that he does this for us. 
So let's hasten his return in this way. It reminds me of a book I'd read earlier this year called Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you haven't read the book, it's, it's a pretty popular book right now. In the book, one of the chapters, he talks about the dopamine hit that our brains give when we look forward to something. And you know what I'm talking about. You have a vacation plan, and when the times that you daydream about it or look at the date on the calendar, there's a dopamine hit. You're not even there yet, but you're experiencing a pleasure and a joy from that. He says this is the way gamblers feel right before they place the bet. There's a dopamine hit. Not the bet itself. It's before the bet. This is what kids experience the dopamine hit with the presents under the tree before it's Christmas and they've unwrapped them. It's excitement. It's a good thing. He talks about how our brains are wired to experience joy and pleasure in that way, to look forward to something. And I think in the same way, in the way that God has wired our brains, that the Lord's Supper It's a way in which we get to experience joy and pleasure, looking forward to that day when he will come. He will return, saying he wants to drink with you. He wants to eat this meal with you. So what good pleasure can we take in joy and knowing that one day he's going to do this with us? So do you long for his return? Do you long and ache and and in touch with that longing there that you might not just experience him spiritually in these elements, but finally one day see him face to face? I hope you do. I hope that's our heart this morning. So with that, we're going to transition to the actual time of communion now. As we prepare our hearts, I wanted to read from Revelation in light of looking forward to his return. Because he has given us another picture of what that looks like. Revelation 19, starting in verse 6, it says this. That when I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It is granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That is our Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these elements. We thank you that you have given us such beautiful, mysterious, and wonderful pictures of your body and your blood. Jesus, thank you so much for showing us how hospitable, how provisional, how gracious you are. You're the Lord of hosts. You long to dine with us. And I pray that you would be with us even today, spiritually that you would bless us, that you would nourish us, that you would do a work in us as you see fit. And we pray for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.